Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in September. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're going to talk about electric vehicles on the program today. See how far they've come. We'll talk to several users. We'll also talk about some legislation which will facilitate the use of electric vehicles. I want to read an email from a listener to introduce the program here. We talked, uh, oh, last fall, a program on climate change activism. And this is an email we received from Nick Flan. He says, I know politics getting arrested for a cause and lament if only people would change follows the usual script to address this issue, but why not try something new? Many individual solutions discussed so far ask people to give up something they enjoy, a hard sell for many people. A positive solution is to take another look at the new technology of electric bikes and cars. Electric bikes allow you to go farther easier and get exercise at the same time. I commute to work eight miles regularly, which eliminates a car and the hassle of parking. If you can charge it with clean energy, you can significantly reduce your carbon footprint, a positive solution. Uh, so that is uh, Dr. Nicholas Flan. He's a professor in the Computer Science Department at Utah State University, and he's also with the Sustainable Electrified Transportation Center um, in Logan, and he joins us uh, in studio. Dr. Flan, welcome. Thanks, Tom. Um, we also have on the telephone uh, Samuel Bona, who is a USU uh, student and uh, I believe also works with uh, Clean Fuels Utah. Samuel Bona, are you, are you with us? I am. Hi, Tom. Hi. Uh, I understand you're at the airport. You're getting ready to fly out. Yeah, that's right. I'm uh, heading out to the Plug in America uh, 2019 awards ceremony. Uh, okay, okay. What's happening there? Uh, well, I was awarded the uh, 2019 Student Award uh, for activism. Okay. And so, yeah, going to go out to L.A. For, for activism in, in, uh, in what? Electric vehicle adoption. Okay, great. Well, congratulations. That's wonderful. Uh, should mention, uh, Sammy Bona uh, came to me and said, let's talk electric vehicles. He not only came to me with the idea for a program, but he said, here, here are the people we should talk to. And so uh, he suggested we talk to uh, Representative Raymond Ward, uh, who is a state representative working on uh, electric vehicle charging infrastructure. We can talk later about details of the 2018 electric vehicle plan. Representative Ward joins us on the line. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and uh, we, we're going to be talking with John Loveless. He's an electrical vehicle owner who converted well before the first consumer-grade electric vehicles were on the market. Uh, John Loveless, I believe you're joining us from your electric vehicle. Yes, thanks for having me. Uh, uh, you're not driving, I should uh, point out. You're, you're sitting there. <laughs> no, just sitting, concentrating on the show. I, uh, I wish okay. it was an autonomous car, but <laughs> not quite yet. <laughs> We're not quite there yet, yeah. Getting, getting there, okay. Let me start with Samuel Bona. What, um, y- y- your conception of this, you wanted to get the word out about electric vehicles and just, uh, I guess, uh, have us answer some questions and dispel some misconceptions. I think that's what your, your purpose was. Yeah, so uh, I have been, uh, for a long time, I, I've been knowing about electric cars since about 2017, and I ended up knowing quite a bit about them, and so a lot of people ask me uh, different questions, like how long are the batteries going to last, and there's, I've noticed there's a lot of misconceptions about these vehicles, uh, ranging from how, cl- how good they are for the environment and uh, how good they are for uh, people's pocketbooks. Uh, so I was hoping that maybe we could get some uh, you know, listeners in that could uh, ask, if they, or ask their questions, and maybe we can answer them as best as we can. 
Um, well, uh, the uh, we will give out the uh, email. Uh, we've got our three guests on the phone. Makes it a little bit difficult to get uh, phone calls in, but but better email. So uh, your questions about electric vehicles would be very welcome right now. Uh, at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. That uh, email, once again, upraxis at gmail.com. Uh, so let's, uh, let's turn to Nick Flan. So you commute every day, eight-mile commute on your electric bicycle. Yep. Uh, so I live in Smithfield, and uh, personally, it's a little far for me with a, just a pedal bike. And um, so I have an electric bike that... Uh, it's very easy to drive, easy to get to work. Uh, when I get into work, I don't have to have the hassle of parking. And to be honest, I timed it, and door-to-door, it's the same amount of time. It's the same amount of time. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, tell me about an electric bicycle. Okay. As, as a motor? Yeah, yeah, electric it? bike. It's uh, So you can pedal it. Um, there's different operation modes of operation. You can pedal it, and then you have a way of adjusting the amount of additional energy it puts into your pedals. And um, so if you put it on nine, it basically almost works like a motorbike. You can't even keep up with it with pedaling. But if you put it on one, uh, level one, you get a nice bit of exercise. If you hit a, the big hill when you get into campus, you can go straight up the hill. No problem. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's nice. It's adjustable. You can Correct. get a lot of exercise or... Yeah. So if you're tired nice on ride. the way home, you can just uh, cruise home. And uh, then when I get home, I just plug it in. So it's really a lot like your cell phone. In fact, as you as you think about it, electric cars are a lot like your cell phones. You just come in, home, plug it in, and then in the morning it's ready to go again. Yeah. Uh, so fully charged if you mm-hmm. – pretty quickly? Correct, yeah. It's, uh, it's always ready in the morning. Yeah. And I ran the numbers too on how much it costs me. It's about $0.04 cents of fuel per oh. day. Oh, wow. So some cost savings as well. Correct. Right. Uh, do you also have an electric vehicle? Yes, yes. We've had electric vehicles for quite a while. I did actually convert an old Chinese car about four years ago and get it to work again, electric. Yeah. And then we've had a Leaf for three years. Now we have a new Leaf for okay. another three-year lease. All right. Uh, so I come back around that because the Leaf is one of the prominent models that's uh, that's available. Uh, I want to talk to John Loveless. I understand you converted a, a, a car from gas to electric well before these things were, were on the market. Yes. Um, when the original Nissan Leaf was announced back in like 2009, I think, it was, no, even earlier than that, it was a concept, and there was a long, long waiting list to just to get a Leaf, and I was impatient, and I, so I ended up converting a Toyota pickup truck to an electric vehicle, and that was my commuter car for about a year and a half, and then after that, I converted a Geo Metro uh, to an electric car, and I convert, I commuted in that for a couple years uh, before. That was that was a really fun hobby, but uh, um, it was it was a you know there's there's a difference between engineering something in your own garage and and a major corporation with teams of engineers. So certainly the the commercially made ones are just really nice. <laughs> So, uh, so what was the impetus behind this? You, you converted a car from gas to electric. Why? Um, I I really like the idea of, of energy independence and being able to capture fuel from my own backyard and use it to power my home and my vehicles. I just love that idea. I think that's just the coolest uh, feature of green energy, being able to just make your own fuel. It's raining from the sky 
every day anyway. Might as well use it. And uh, I wanted to be able to drive to. I wanted to be able to drive using my own energy, and uh, so obviously it was electric. And uh, so yeah, I want. I wanted that. And the, no, no car companies. You go into any dealership and say, "Hey, I want an electric car," and they're like, um, "No, we we don't sell those." I, I was maybe I was born a couple decades too early. But yeah. now we're finally getting there where <laughs> car companies are grudgingly getting into this market space. Yeah, 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 they are. I want to turn to Representative Ward. Um, you know, one reason maybe we're a little slow rolling this out is is infrastructure, charging infrastructure. You're, I think I understand you're working in this area. Sure. I think charging, lack of charging infrastructure is one of the obstacles that makes people reluctant to switch over to electric vehicles. Um but the state is moving in the right direction. Uh, this isn't something that where I was the one that ran the bill. This is, is an appropriation request. Um, it's just budget money set aside for it. And the governor's uh, energy office was instrumental in saying, hey, this is something that we need to have be part of our transportation infrastructure, part of our energy infrastructure. Um, but there's money that the state set aside this last session to improve our charging infrastructure around the state. Uh, and, and what's your interest in this? Do you, do you have an interest in electrical vehicles? Do you, do you see this as a part of um, uh, a success sure, for Utah going forward? Two, uh, two, two really important topics, right? So one is clean air. Uh, here along the Wasatch Front, we are not blessed with favorable geography. Our geography works against us. So in the winter, the same amount of pollution put out you know, weighs on us heavier just because of the uh, being in the bowl between the mountains and switching over. If you look for what what can we do that would make a big improvement in the air, we can find a hundred things that are a little tiny improvement here and there, and those are important too. But if you want to say what would make a big improvement, if we were able, it's a big if, but if we were able to switch over to largely driving electric vehicles, that would make a big improvement in our air for sure. Mm. Uh, and you said two, uh, two reasons, clean air? Sure. So the other issue is is climate change, right? So climate change is largely driven by uh, CO2 emissions, and that comes largely from fossil fuels. There's different sources, but that is the, the fuel that we use to drive our, for our whole transportation m- modes now comes from fossil fuels. So if we're able to switch that over, that also will be one really important piece towards slowing down um, climate change. Utah is only... Little, a bit of decimal dust, right, in the overall amount of fossil fuels. Um, but we still need to do our part. And when we can do so in a way that is economically viable and beneficial and makes things better locally as well, then why would we not do that? Mm-hmm. Let me turn back to uh, Sam Ubona. Uh, you're flying out to California to receive an award on this. You're, you're passionate about, about the, these issues. Uh, so I think you, you told me uh, you have never owned a non-electric vehicle uh, so you're you're young but that's still pretty impressive what's uh i guess the, the what's the why behind that um well i guess the first thing is yeah i i think i should disclose i mean i am 18 years old and i've only ever owned one car that's just a that was just a sales <laughs> tactic i use you know yeah i've only ever owned an electric car so you can do it too but anyway still uh, still uh still pretty, you know that's that's uh, unusual right uh, your peers probably aren't buying electric vehicles yeah, I guess that's a good point. I'd, I feel like more people my age, though, are, are moving over to them, and especially just because at least in my group of people, it just we're naturally mathematicians and physicists. It doesn't burning fuel is just so inefficient to move a car. It just 
from that standpoint, it makes zero sense. Why not just use, you know, a battery and a motor? That that was kind of one of my primary reasons is it just doesn't seem efficient or, you know, like simple to own. And I didn't, I didn't really want to have to think about my car, about getting oil changes or fixing the brakes or whatever goes wrong in a gasser. Uh, so just being able to get into my electric car, unplug it in the morning and know that it's going to turn on pretty much no matter what, like there's no oil in it. Like it's just so reliable. It just made sense to me. And the other thing too is uh, I was in Alaska, uh, you know, about 2016, 2017. And that's kind of when I started to get into environmentalism. And that's actually when I found out about electric cars. Uh, my friend, he went on a tangent and said that he would never own a combustion car. And so he explained to me what he meant by that, because I just thought there was only one kind of car, right? I, I was never really into those cars. And so he, he explained it to me, and it just it was like, holy cow, I can actually make a, a big difference on, you know, the climate. Like, it's, it affects us also. I mean, it just seems like the right thing to do in that sense, too. Let me turn back to Professor Flan. Uh, you mentioned in your email, I want to bring this forward, if you're getting an electric vehicle uh, for climate change reasons, right, um, you, reducing carbon footprint would require that you charge it with clean energy, right? How, how can you... How yeah, can you course, ensure that you're yeah. charging it with clean energy? Yes, that, that is, and that is so much easier nowadays and is changing all the time. One thing I think very clever about us converting to electric transportation, both bikes and cars, is that uh, we, don't, we can uh, solve, we can split one hard problem, which is reducing our carbon footprint into two somewhat smaller problems, which is one is let's get everyone driving electric. And then let's keep working on uh, improving the quality of our grid electricity so that it doesn't create carbon. One thing we do is uh, you can pay one penny extra per kilowatt hour and get uh, Wyoming wind energy. So that's how we do it. And again, it's so simple. Uh, we see more and more that uh, gas, uh, sorry, uh, coal-powered power plants are on the way out. They're just uh, not economic at all especially if they have to pay the true price of how, how much it costs to clean up. Uh, and then um, we're seeing more and more solar being developed. We're seeing uh, wind energy taking off everywhere. If anyone's driven uh, many places, especially uh, in the Midwest and in Wyoming and Colorado, uh, it's full of wind turbines as far as the eye can see. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, another follow-up again from your email, and I, I, this does uh, you know strike a chord. Um, many solutions to climate change that are thrown out there are more like pulling teeth, right? You have to give up this, give up that. Exactly. This is something you're you're fra phrasing as a positive solution. That's right. Yeah, I, I my feeling, um, I uh, my feeling is. If we want people to change the behaviors, uh, the easiest way to do it is provide a product that's cheaper and better. And it's a no-brainer. Why, why not do it that way? Yeah. So electric vehicles and getting clean energy strike me as a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. uh, before we go to break, I want to turn back to Representative Ward. Um, so uh, I'm sure you would uh, – I'm guessing you uh, believe that the government has a role to play here. We talked a little bit about um, – infrastructure plan and and uh and helping to ease people into electric vehicles i wonder if you talk a little bit more about that what what should government be doing well 
I mean, having infrastructure in place is something that government does does a good job of starting, right? This has to work well with the with the private market. It's not government entirely by any stretch. The particular money that was set aside uh, will kind of be split into two groups. One is some places where uh, Utah will just put in some charging infrastructure, you know, putting in, for example, a little charging station at every library, uh, make sure that they're kind of spread out different places. Libraries are places where people don't go and stay all day long. They're there for a couple hours, and so the cars can rotate through, and then people will just know, hey, I'm not ever that far from a place that I can go and and charge if I need to. And then some of the money will be uh, done on a grant basis in connection with uh, private partners where there's a, a, a chain of gas stations, for example, that says, look, we, we want to have this also as a service here, and hey, we've got our little 7-Eleven or Subway where we hope people stop to eat, and having this is something that they're going to stop and charge their car also we feel like will bring us uh, some business to the other things that we sell here. Uh, let's go to break. When we come back, um, I want to start peppering our panel with some questions, uh, just uh, some just basic questions. How far will an electric vehicle go without a, you know without charging it again? How expensive it is to charge? Um, th- there are some misconceptions. Do the batteries blow up? Is there a is there a danger there? Um, so it will, uh, we'll, uh, start into some questions. If you have a question or comment, we'd love to hear it. Upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. We're talking about electric vehicles on the program. More following this. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Utah Humanities, improving communities through ideas and action. Online at utahhumanities.org. On the next Poudamaya World Music Hour, we'll revisit the golden years of French chanson with the vintage sounds that filled the cafes, bars, and nightclubs in the City of Lights. La lune trop blême pose un diadème sur tes cheveux roux. I'm Rosalie Howard. Join us for Paris Café, the next Poudamaya World Music Hour. Join us Friday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. UPR is everywhere you are, with classical music programming, news, and information statewide through 36 Signals, worldwide on the web at upr.org, and through the new UPR app, UPR is only a push of the button away. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in September. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking electric vehicles on the program today. Uh, they're being uh, somewhat slowly rolled out. Um, it seems like we get predictions from time to time that uh, there's, there's going to be a critical mass. Uh, or maybe that's just a hope of, of some people that uh, we'll all be driving electric vehicles uh, before long. Uh, more and more, there are those available on the commercial market. Um, so Nick Flan, you you drive a Nissan Leaf, correct? Yes, we have a Leaf. Yeah, you have a, have a Leaf. So uh, to, maybe to start in on uh, this uh, portion of the panel, but let me reintroduce our panel. We have uh, Nick Flan, who is a uh, professor at Utah State University, working in the Computer Science Department, also the Sustainable Electrified Transportation Center, and other uh, places on campus. We have a Representative Raymond Ward, who's dealing with charging infrastructure and uh, the uh, 2018 Electric Vehicle Plan. Uh, we have with us uh, John Loveless, who is joining us from his electric vehicle. Uh, John Loveless, what uh, what kind of car do you drive? 
I drive a Chevy Bolt, Lightning Bolt, not to be confused with a Volt or a Spark. Okay, the Lightning Bolt. Okay. Um, and we have uh, Samuel Bona, who is a USU student and uh, who also works uh, with Clean Fuels Utah, right, Samuel? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, tell us, uh, in, in passing here, Clean Fuels Utah, what is that? Uh, it is a uh, automotive car dealership that uh, specializes in used electric cars. All right. Uh, very good. Uh, well, let's uh, let's jump in with a question via email. This is Linda, who has uh, who's joined us by email. You can as well. Love to get your question or comment on electric vehicles. Uh, upraxcess at gmail.com. Upraxcess at gmail.com. So Linda North Logan asks, have you fully discussed the need for more electricity if everyone jumped to electric cars? I don't want to live near the next power plant that's needed to, to serve uh, all the cats. Uh, Nick Flan, maybe jump in on that one. Uh, that's a great. Uh, that's a great question. And in fact, uh, like I discussed before, uh, solar is coming more popular, and people can, uh, like like John mentioned, you can have your own power station and nice, quiet, clean power station uh, on your property if you'd like. That's a possibility for many. And then uh, you're right, the utility companies, people are realizing this already, that if we eliminate all that fossil fuel that's getting uh, pulled out of the ground and, and, and travels across the oceans of the planet, uh, then we're going to have to replace that energy with uh, electrical energy. So the, the uh, vision, and I think it's practical, is to keep building clean uh, energy production facilities, both uh, distributed and centralized, to service that uh, need. Uh, and I'm sorry, uh, Linda, I didn't catch your typo. There's a little typo. Uh, serve all the cats. Uh, I'm sure you meant serve all the cars. So, although that was kind of charming with the. So, um, Representative Ward, uh, the the uh, the need for maybe more power plants, more infrastructure in that way. If we if we all adopt electric cars, are you planning for that? So, I think this this is a problem that is is going to sort itself out. I think without too much fuss. In the first place, the transition is not something that's going to happen in six months, right? It, it, the transition is going to take place slowly over time. We already have right now today an excess of power on the power grid at certain times of the day. Uh, at certain times of the day, we right now today, there's power that just kind of goes to waste because it's not needed. We don't have easy ways uh, to store it, even for a couple of hours. One of the main things we need in our energy grid is better ways to store that energy even for a couple of hours and in fact uh, electric vehicles actually are part of that solution right a vehicle that's plugged in that's charging its batteries it can take that power when it's being produced at a time when it's not needed and then it sits there in the car battery to be used later when the car drives around so uh over time, I think we'll have a migration of the types of power that we produce. And certainly, uh, over some time, there'll be an increase in the total amount needed. But even that is counterbalanced by the fact that electric vehicles as a whole just use less energy if you measure the amount of energy that's needed to make an electric vehicle go versus a combustion engine go. It's quite a bit less energy. And as our other, our homes become more efficient and our other ways that we use energy actually can go down as we become more efficient. I think that worry will, will sort itself out without any large problems. Uh, thanks for that, Linda. Appreciate that. Uh, would love to get your question or comment by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. We're talking about electric vehicles on the program today. Um, so some basic questions. Let me direct this to John Loveless. 
How reliable are electric vehicles, and how long does the battery last? They are super reliable, insanely reliable, actually. Um, um, my wife, for example, she's driven a Nissan Leaf for six years, and it hasn't had a single mechanical problem, unlike every car she's owned prior to that that has stranded her at one time or another. Um, They're extremely reliable. You, you Basically, the only maintenance you do is change the cabin air filter, rotate the tires, and wiper blades. Maybe you'll get a squeaky door hinge now and again, but <laughs> as far as mechanical problems, there's really not a lot that can fail. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, uh, the battery, yeah, they, they are a finite thing, and uh, depending on the type of car, and it really comes down to battery management. Um, if the battery is air-cooled, like in the Nissan Leaf, you're going to get about 100,000 miles before they really start showing their, their wear and tear, and you might only have, you know, 60% of the range you used to have, uh, where the batteries, if they are liquid-cooled, like in the Teslas and the Chevys and almost every other vehicle out there is liquid-cooled batteries, they're finding they go over 200,000 miles before you notice any problems. And there's, there's Teslas out there that have gone over 400,000 on a charge, uh, or 400,000 miles. on, And uh, so really, it might come down to you, the chassis might rust out before the battery goes. So it's kind of too early to tell, but um, it's looking super promising in the six, seven years since these commercial electric cars have been around. Hmm. Let me direct the next one to Samuel Bona. Um, how far can I go in my electric car? I think that's a fear that's out there. I'll, I won't be able to go as far in my electric as with my gasoline, in part because uh, there, there aren't as many recharging so first of all, how far can an electric uh, car go without recharge? I mean, it, I guess it depends on the model for the most part. Uh, nowadays, it's actually quite difficult to find a car with range that's under 100 miles, which is pretty standard, you know, between 2008 and I'd say around 2016. Um, for, for the most part, they go between about 150 miles for like a base Nissan Leaf. Uh, to about 200 to 250 miles on average between, like, uh, the Chevy Bolt, the Hyundai Kona, and the Kia e-Niro. And those are, you know, under $40,000 cars. And then you have the other ones like the Tesla Model S and the X and the 3 that can do over 300 miles on a charge. And uh, and I guess at the end of the day, too, it does depend on the driver as well. So, for instance, my car does, like, 80 miles on a charge, but, you know, I've driven almost a 1,000 miles in a day in it just because... I'm an efficient driver. It's, you know, like getting good miles per gallon in your gas car and charging infrastructure, too. I mean, you go as far as the infrastructure will take you. Uh, so, Nick Flan would, you know, it's the, jump in your car. It's freedom, right? We're in the West, long distances. Would, would you get in your leaf and go on vacation to remote areas? Would uh, I guess the charging infrastructure would be a limiting factor, maybe? It can be, for sure, yeah. And that's something uh, that... As early adopters and um, and just with the infrastructure being built out, it must be a consideration. I think I have two comments really is one, almost the whole time you don't drive that far. We had a Leaf with an 80-mile range uh, and it was just fine because it was our second car. So an, an electric vehicle makes a great second start, a second car to start with. But as far as going further now with, our, with our, the new LEAF that has a range of about 220 miles without a charge, the infrastructure is actually uh, quite good and it's getting better every day. 
One thing I like to use is as many apps and uh, p- uh, websites, things like that, that allow you to basically plan your trip. A bit like Google Maps, but but that takes into account the need to charge. So these apps can estimate how much um, energy you'll have in your battery. Um, they'll they'll plan out your route and they'll identify charging stations along the way. So just the other day, we went up to Park City, had a, a fun in Salt Lake. I drove around uh, with our leaf. And then in, in uh, Park City, for example, there's a, a nice DC fast charger. I got to hang out in Starbucks for about 25 minutes, get some things done. And the car was totally topped up, ready to head home. So that's another question that sounds like pretty fast recharge. Uh, uh, half an hour? It's uh, getting better and better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot of different ways to charge your vehicle. Most charging for electric vehicles happens at home. That's pretty much most of it, 95% perhaps, depending, of course, on how you drive and where you go. Um, so that's easy, totally easy. In fact, you just it's great never going to a gas station. So when you do travel a bit further afield, uh, charging rates are improving. And it's interesting, they have a way of measuring the charging rate, which at first it took a little while to get my head around. But what they talk about is, mi- is miles per hour of charging. So so, for example, new charges, top-notch charges, you can put a 1,000 miles range into your car, if you could, in one hour. So that would be like a 10-minute charge um, for a significant trip home. And as uh, so it's a charging rate design. So these high-speed charges, which they're deploying, um, which I believe is part of uh, Raymond's uh, talking about that, having the slow charges on libraries that will just top up your car while you're shopping or doing errands. And then you'll have these high-speed charges along the freeways, along the major uh, thoroughfares. Uh, let me turn back to Representative Ward. Um, is is that in the near future where we'll have the the infrastructure needed for, I guess, um, a critical mass of people to adopt electric cars? And and uh, do, you, do you see those barriers well, being the overcome? Well, the state set aside was $6 million in this last budget year, and that will be... Uh, spent over the next two or three years, um, and then we'll see where we stand, right? I mean, the number of individuals owning electric vehicles is still very low in Utah, but is increasing every year. Um, And I I think the biggest impediment right now is still the cost of a new vehicle and that the vehicles have been available for not long enough to have a, a large, robust used car market. We're starting to have that, but that still makes it very different different from um, internal combustion market for buying used cars. So there's a bunch of little fronts that have to change, um, but we're, we'll, we'll move forward on each front a little bit at a time, and I, and I think we'll get there as the advantages add up. When manufacturers are making more of them, the manufacturer gets more efficient, so then it gets cheaper to manufacture it, and you find other efficiencies, but you kind of got to get the market up and running to find those. But you think uh, the market will get up and running and uh, it will hit uh, critical mass here? Sure, and uh, Utah, I I think so. I mean, we've had a, I would say we've had a bunch of false starts with trying to find alternative fuels. If you look back over the last 40 years, we've tried all kinds of other little alternative fuels that were supposed to really, really save our fuel situation, but all of those were still really burning some kind of fuel one way or the other. This is a bigger change, and it's got some advantages that those other changes didn't have. It, the fuel itself, the electricity is flat out cheaper, just a lot cheaper, and the design of the cars is flat out 
a lot easier to design, to design and therefore likely to be more reliable for a longer period of time. But still, it's a big switch, and, and no one knows for sure how consumers will react and what products the private market will be able to invent and make available to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Loveless, another couple of basic questions. Um, do, you, do you find you have sufficient charging places? I guess you, the main charge would be at home. But but do you do you find yeah. you're able to charge your car or out and about? So so for daily runaround commuting, I I literally charge once or twice a week, and it's not a big deal at all. It's just a regular car at that point. It's it's when I go on road trips to like up into Idaho or southern Utah, and you know I want to get there at a reasonable time, so I'm going 80 miles an hour like everyone else, and. Um, Instead of getting 250 miles of range, when you're going 80 miles an hour with the heat cranking, you might only get about 170 miles of range. And so, um, and because my car isn't a Tesla, uh, the charging infrastructure is very lacking. And uh, so that that is a concern. And and, it's, and the charging infrastructure is only one deep in some cases. There's actually a gas station in Fillmore, Utah. They have one fast charger, and I'm I'm white knuckles as I'm pulling in, saying, "Please be, don't be broken. Please don't be occupied." One time they had the whole parking lot snow cleared, and they put it all in front of the charging station. And uh, so, just early adopter issues like that. Um, so I would say for daily commuting, it's it's a done deal. It's a no-brainer. But it's these long road trips. If you're not a te- if you're not driving a Tesla. It's, it's a little tricky. I, I can't physically drive to Reno in my car because the charging infrastructure isn't there. But, I, you know, I-15 is pretty solved, at least between one and four deep charging, infrastructure, charging stations at each place. But, um, yeah, for road trips, for any car that's not Tesla, we're not, they're not there yet. That's interesting. I've done a lot of traveling this summer, and uh, Fillmore does seem to be all roads lead to Fillmore, seems like. And so they've got they a charger do. there, yeah. Um, so let me, uh, we, we have another email. This is from Chris in St. George. I'll, I'll, since we have you here, I'll, I'll uh, throw this one to, to John. Um, Chris asks, how hard would it be to put some kind of converter in the car so it could be charged via a regular extension cord? What do you think, John? Um, they, do, they do that already. Um, so you can plug it into a 110 outlet. It's super, super slow. Um, you know, you think about uh, the power of a hairdryer, which sounds like a lot of power, but that's, uh, that, that adds about maybe three to four miles of range per hour. And so my car has a, very, it has a pretty large battery, 60 kilowatt hour battery. It would take 60 hours to charge it up on an extension cord, which, uh, you know, in a pinch, you can do it. But uh, it's just going to take a while. So literally, you can, unlike a gas car, you can literally go anywhere there's electricity and fill up your car. It's just a matter of uh, convenience. Where, um, yeah, obviously the level two charging, like being able to charge up overnight. Um, you know, I, I sometimes I'll run it down to nothing, and I'll come home at 10 o'clock at night, plug it in, uh, 7 a.m. It's, it's ready to go. No, not even a big deal at all. Mm. Um, and then the faster ones. They're, they're just the real, they're the way to go when you're on a road trip where you you need to get out, use the bathroom, grab a bite to eat. By the time you're done, you're, you're about ready to go. Hmm. Uh, Nick Flynn, what do you, what do you think about this? Uh, some kind of converter so it could be charged via the regular extension cord? 
Yeah, in fact, um, you don't really need a converter like uh, like John said. It's it's going to be ready to go like that as you uh, get when you get the car. So with our Leaf that had the smaller range, uh, we would just plug it into our 110 in the garage, and it was just fine. We never ran into trouble where we'd uh, the next day we we couldn't go where we wanted to go in that vehicle. And then uh, nowadays you can get higher powered chargers, a bit like your washing machine at home where it has the 220. So that provides a faster charging rate for your, for your vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, John, I want to do a follow-up. You say sometimes you hit 80 on the, on the freeway, like I guess like we all do. Um, <laughs> it'd be a different experience, I would imagine. Part of the maybe the thrill on a gasoline engine is the, you know, it's the roar of the engine, which I, I'm guessing you don't get an electric car. I get a different thrill. I, the instant acceleration, um, I, I, my car, I call it a quantum tunneling car. Like, you, boom, disappear and reappear over there. It's like, <laughs> whoa, that was some amazing acceleration. <laughs> I, I never get over that. And then, and then when you're coming in for, like, say the light turns red really quickly up ahead, hitting the regenerative braking and not having to use your friction brakes, and you're literally capturing all of your momentum and putting it back in the battery, that is just the coolest thing ever. So instant acceleration off the off the line and coming in for a stop like a Falcon 9 rocket first stage coming back to Earth, like how cool is that? Like <laughs> I, I'm 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 hooked. Yeah, I got to follow yeah. through uh, John's comment that yeah, if uh, I've never been a car person really and performance cars never really interested me, but you just can't help it with an EV. Yeah. Uh, they they come that way. Yeah. And the, the acceleration, in some sense, people think, well, it's a little reckless. But my feeling is acceleration, the, the ability to just be able to accelerate when you need to, is actually a great safety feature in the sense that you can quickly get out of the way of, of cars. You can clear the area. So at a red light, for example, often if you end up stopped in the front, you can just get ahead of all the traffic and you look around you, there's no cars. Or if you have to squeeze into a lane or something, it's just very efficient just to quickly nip in, and then you're in the lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Representative Ward, I don't know, are you like me? You have a gasoline car, or do you have an electric yeah. vehicle? Yeah, a gas car. So, I wonder what you think about this. There, there's, I don't know, just <laughs> the romance of the vehicle we've we associate with the gasoline car, and I don't know whether that transfers to electric vehicles. Well, I'm also not really a, a car person. Where I where I needed the fastest or the best. I've always said, well, what's the most efficient mileage? And I'll, I'll be getting a used vehicle, one of those. So I drive a Toyota Echo, and, it's, and I'll probably drive that till it runs out because it's been a really good car for me. But as I look around, I say, okay, when the time comes, I'll, I'll be looking maybe to get an electric vehicle. But I think I'm probably like most most drivers, right? Most drivers aren't going to go out and get an electric vehicle just because they like the idea if their current car is working well for them in their circumstance, but we just want to make it so that when there is the natural turnover, when everybody comes to a time when it's like, oh, my, I, I've got to, got to go get another one, that when they look out there and weigh their pros and cons, they say, hey, it's time for me to, to choose this other pathway. So it, it happened naturally the, the, you know, in, the, in the market, I guess. Uh, and you said something earlier that resonated with me. Um, we're going to need a used car market. That's probably where yeah. I would purchase a, a vehicle such as this. That's where most people purchase a vehicle, right? Yeah. And so that's just going to take some time. 
yeah, it will. But we got to get started, or else we won't ever have it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. True. I'll turn back to Samuel Bona, and I'll direct this question, uh, Linda. Uh, has emailed back in. You can as well. I'd love to get your question or comment by email, upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. And we're talking about electric vehicles. Uh, Linda asks, my hybrid recharges its own battery when I'm going downhill. Do electric cars do that? Uh, what do you think, Samuel? Uh, yeah, they do. Uh, it's just a, it's just the nature of an AC motor. It, when you uh, want to decelerate, it just turns into a dynamo in a sense. And it just takes your momentum and turns it back into energy and puts it back into the battery. It's really nice when you're going down a canyon or something. You know, you use a, quite a bit of battery getting up the canyon, I mean, compared to, you know, miles on a freeway. But then you go down the canyon, you get a lot of that range back. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about a couple of the things that we were talking about before. I didn't loop you in. Um, so what is your experience with your electric vehicle? Do you, do you Have you taken any long trips? Yeah, uh, actually, uh, last month I wanted to just to see how good the infrastructure was because uh, they put in a few new chargers along the I-15, and uh, I went down to St. George. So I, I lived in uh, Orm area at the time. I went down to St. George in my again 80 mile range car, and then back up again, and then all the way up to Logan to go visit USU, and then back down again. Uh, my car, it honestly, it's it's so natural just to plug it in into a fast charger. And unlike uh, John's car or the Nissan Leaf, my car's got a really small battery, but it's super efficient. So to fully charge my car from almost completely dead to, like, you can't put any more battery or electricity into the battery, it takes about 25 minutes. Hmm. So that's, you know, I don't stop all that long. So there are sufficient charging stations that you could, uh, you could go up and down I-15? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for the most part, with really a Chevy Bolt, you can't buy the car that I drive anymore, sadly. Uh, but with a Chevy Bolt with its range, you can pretty much go anywhere in Utah. I mean, they have chargers in, like, Price, for instance. Or, you know, if you want to go down to Moab, for instance, take your mountain bike, you can go down there and they have a supercharger there. It's pretty nice. Uh, and chargers keep going up on a weekly basis. Like, uh, Brigham City actually just got a new uh, Electrify America station the other day. Uh, and it's got, I think, eight pull-in stations and I think 16 heads, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, it's a big charging location. Hmm. Uh, one more question uh, directed to you, Samuel, before we go to break. Um, how safe are electric uh, cars? I guess, A, you know, there are some people who think, well, you know, the battery might have a problem. The battery might might burn or blow up or whatever. Um, and, th- and then I guess the other question, we'll throw this out to the panel after you answer that one, is just the overall safety. So first, the battery safety. Uh, for the most part, batteries are just safer than gasoline. I mean, batteries don't explode. Like, they just burn very intensely. Uh, so for the most part, if your battery sets on fire, which is a big if, mostly because there's battery management systems that keep the battery from shorting out or in the event of a wreck, there's a lot of safety and protection around the battery itself so that it doesn't crimp the battery in uh, like a front-end collision and uh, short out the battery. There's a lot of protection involved there. And it also, that protection gives the car structural rigidity, and the weight also helps when you get into an accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, there's also thermal blankets on top of the battery, too, so that if in the event of a wreck and the car sets on fire, you can safely exit the vehicle. It gives you enough time before the actual fire reaches the cabin. And then other things, too, is it doesn't vent dangerous gases. Or, yeah, it does vent uh, some gases uh, when the electrolyte burns. But, I mean, it's still significantly safer than a gasoline car. John Loveless, what's your experience? Uh, overall safety? you feel safe in your electric vehicle? 
um, one of the things I love to do in my car is preheat it in, on a cold winter morning in the garage with the, with the garage door down. I just reach over to my phone. I say, car, turn on, and it preheats. And um, in a gas car, you would be dead if you did that because mm, of wow. all the fumes it puts out when it's running. Um, so there's just inherently some, some amazing pros to an electric car. It's just inherently safer. Uh, the battery weight is all at the, the low, the bottom of the car, so you have this really low center of mass. So they handle better. They're, they they don't roll over as easy. Um, unlike the 250,000 car fires a year, gasoline car fires a year, um, electric cars don't burn at the same rate, even though there's not as many. Um, most electric car chemistries use a use uh, the batteries use a chemistry called the uh, lithium iron phosphate or, or a variant of that and that type of chemistry if you drive a spike or something through the battery it's not going to burst into flame it's just going to die real boring it's only the uh the lithium polymer cells uh tesla uses these they're they're very energy dense and those are the ones that have a thermal runaway that can cause the fires and so um, you don't you don't hear car fires in the news except for Teslas, and that's just because you know they're they're uh, so sensate. You know everyone's Teslas in the news every time they sneeze, um, but you don't you don't see you don't hear about regular car fires in the news. There's 250 thousand a year, and you just everyone knows gasoline burns, and so it just I guess it's just not a newsworthy story anymore. Mm. But overall, yeah, electric cars are, are way safer for for many many reasons, especially the CO2 and the pollution you're not you're not going to die from a car running in your garage um so yeah all right uh let's go to another break when we come back we'll have our last segment on electric vehicles we'd love to get your question or comment uh for our panel and uh, we, we're talking about electric vehicles. We're talking with uh, Nick Flan, who is a professor of computer science at Utah State University. He also uh, rides an electric bike to work. He has an electric vehicle as well. Uh, John Loveless is talking to us from his electric vehicle. He was an early adapter as well. And uh, we have uh, Representative Raymond Ward uh, with us, a state representative, and uh, USU student uh, Samuel Bona. We'll have more on this following this break. The fastest growing cities in the world are in Africa, and we're about to take you there. The life between people is very happy. When they see each other on the street, just the hello part might take like five minutes. How are you doing? How's the mother? How's that? How's that? And then the other person has the same thing. Africa and the future of the city, next time on To the Best of Our Knowledge from PRX. Utah Public Radio would like to thank Apogee Instruments, Intermountain Healthcare, and CAPSA for sponsoring content on UPR. We would also like to thank our listeners and members. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, email debbie.andrew at usu.edu. Remember, you can listen and contribute on our UPR app or at upr.org. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in September.
Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. I'm joined by Representative Raymond Ward, uh, Dr. Nicholas Flann from the USU's Computer Science Department, USU student Sam Bubona, and electric vehicle uh, owner uh, John Loveless. Your question is welcome. We've appreciated the questions. Uh, get your question or comment in on this uh, topic. We have another uh, six minutes or so left in the program. Upraccess at gmail.com. Upraccess at gmail.com. Uh, we want to get to electric bikes here in the last segment, so don't let me forget, uh, Dr. Flan. I wanted to bring this uh, this up, uh, another question of how do um, electric vehicles fit into the environment and to climate change. Um, so many of these, and I'll direct this to Dr. Flan first, um, many of these vehicles uh, use lithium batteries. So mining lithium, isn't that a problem for the environment? That's a, that's a great question. It's an important concern that we want to watch out that this replacement technology is, uh, it doesn't cause as many problems as uh, all the problems that uh, fossil fuel extraction has caused. Um, for sure, we're having to uh, make them out of something. We have to use industrial processes and mining. One thing that is good about lithium, for example, is it's basically settled in a lot of old lake bottoms. That's kind of where they get it from. So although it obviously has some environmental impact, it's not as uh, dirty or as bad as, for example, um, uh, drilling oil out of the ground and all the corresponding uh, leaks, et cetera, that we've had. Um, yeah, so there's something to keep an eye on. My feeling is that as the technology grows, uh, we're going to keep an eye on that. We're going to do better, and we're not. it's not as fundamentally polluting as uh, petroleum and fossil fuels are. Mm. Uh, before we move on, so, uh, your your plug for, I guess pun intended there, for uh, electric bikes. Yeah, I just wanted to briefly mention that. That Okay, a lot of people out there yearn for an electric vehicle perhaps, but you're right. You look at a Tesla or you look at some of these expensive new cars. What I wanted to say is an electric bike is some electric vehicle you can get right now. It costs honestly about the same as a, a, a pedal bike, and the benefits are, are, um, are so... Uh, powerful and fun. One issue I like about electric bikes is uh, is it replaces a car often, which is a major contribution. They're really fun. And just on that issue of safety, anyone who's ridden a pedal bike and have, having to pull out onto a four-way stop, for example, where you're trying to get some speed up, you're all wobbly and there's cars everywhere, it's actually kind of scary. Uh, what nice thing about an electric bike is it really uh, provides a lot of safety in the sense that you can accelerate again, again accelerate away from trouble and from stops, et cetera. You can just accelerate up, get up a good speed, be nice and stable, and um, it provides that level of assurance that you don't get in a pedal bike. Mm. We have an email from Steve. Uh, he talks a little bit about this for electric vehicles, so I'll get this in. As your guests are suggesting, Tom, a vehicle which is fast and nimble is a safer vehicle. Vehicular safety engineers distinguish two kinds of safety, passive and active. Passive safety is the steel cage cocooning the passengers. SUVs are passively very safe, tanks even more so. Active safety is the ability to avoid harm in the first place. It's all about acceleration, fast braking, and nimble handling. Sports cars and electric vehicles are actively very safe. Motorcycles, even more so. That is uh, Steve. Just have about three minutes left of the program, so we get to final words. I'll start with uh, Representative uh, Raymond Ward. Um, what would you say at the, at the end here about electric vehicles and uh, moving to those? We really need to make some kind of large change if we're ever going to get a substantial improvement in our air quality, and I think this is our best bet.
this is a first step forward, and we, we hope that we see over the next five or ten years a bunch of really good changes overall in this direction. Mm. Uh, John Loveless, um, uh, let me just ask you briefly, um, the minute I'll give you, uh, the, the cost, are the, uh, are the cost prohibitive, or, and are they coming down? Oh, they're almost on par with buying a gas car, a brand new gas car today. Um, they're a little bit more expensive, but the maintenance costs and the fuel costs make an electric car far, far cheaper. Um, this has actually been true for probably the last five years. Um, in fact, originally was getting my, I was still driving my homemade ones, and my wife, uh, we her van was stranding or everywhere and so we we looked at the fuel costs and the maintenance costs and leasing a nissan leaf this was six years ago was actually on par with maintaining her old minivan that she had before so yeah there we couldn't afford not to do it it was it just made sense yeah it'll be those natural decisions yeah yeah uh, let's see. Let me turn to Samuel Bona uh, for the, the, give you the last word. Uh, uh, I guess a simple question: Why should a person switch to an electric car? Uh, well, I guess there's uh, two reasons someone would want to switch to an electric car. I guess there's uh, responsibility financially to yourself. I mean, at the end of the day, electric cars are cheaper, and especially now, where I mean, for instance, you can go and buy a used Chevy Bolt with a you know a decent amount of miles on it for under twenty thousand dollars now, and it's cheaper to maintain, and you still get most of the benefits that come with a gasoline car. So there's that direct responsibility and the financial responsibility that comes with it. But there's also the indirect, you know, responsibility too about understanding that your uh, your habits and your your consumer habits specifically do have an impact on everyone around you. So by driving an electric car, yes, you are making some sacrifices to some degree, but at the same time, you're also helping people with asthma and those that are directly affected by the air quality, and that being all of us to some degree. And so I think... Yeah. That's well, honestly one of the, the biggest driving factors that I'd hope people would adopt electric cars for. Okay. Well, it's just better for us as a society. We'll have to leave it there. We're out of time. Uh, Samuel Bona, USU student, has joined us. Representative Raymond Ward uh, has joined us. Uh, Nick Flan from USU's Computer Science Department and uh, John Loveless, electric vehicle owner. Thanks, uh, gentlemen, all. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Access Thank Utah. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard and streaming online at upr.org.